0: You were listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 14. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, and I am coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is one I have been looking forward to for some time. I had the privilege of interviewing a good friend and colleague, BJ Caruso, who is really one of the more well respected immigration lawyers in the entire country. Uh, she, uh, I'll get into uh, a little bit of her introductions once I um, get started with the the recording that I made of our conversation. Um, I could probably spend hours going through all of her accolades, but she is awesome, and she was so kind and gracious to come on this this uh, humble little podcast and and kind of kick things off for me. And it's going to be pretty hard to top uh, BJ as a, as a guest, but uh, we had a, an opportunity to talk a little bit about the um, Canadian Border Services Agency and some changes that have occurred recently that are probably going to catch a few foreign nationals off guard as they're trying to enter the country. But I don't want to uh, give it all away before we get to the interview. So uh, that will be coming to you here in just a little bit. Um, I wanted to let all of the listeners know how much I appreciate the fact that they listen to these podcasts. And initially when I I it was more of a, a public service, I guess, if you could, if you, if you could say that, um, trying to provide some information that people can rely on related to Canadian immigration law practice, and uh, most importantly, policy, which seems to be changing uh, as, uh, as, as the changing of guard occurs from one minister to another minister, from one political party to another. Immigration seems to be the one portfolio that goes through more changes than anything else, without, without a doubt. But I appreciate um, all of you listeners who are listening. And I went back and checked the analytics for this podcast and was quite shocked to see that I had over a 1,000 downloads this past month. And um, what does that do to someone when they check their stats and realize people are actually listening? Well, the reality is I need to up my game. And so having uh, BJ on this uh, podcast as one of my guests is just one of the ways that I'm going to try to make this something that's actually of value to people. I'm going to focus on bringing in some of the top immigration uh, lawyers and practitioners across the country to share insight um, on all of the various immigration uh, all of the various immigration categories and and um, immigration streams that that people are accessing when they're trying to come to Canada for uh, for permanent and and temporary purposes. But my goal is to provide you all with something of value. And so if you have any ideas as to other guests that you might like to see on the podcast, do not hesitate to drop me a line, let me know, and, and we'll see what happens. But uh, this podcast is, is going to be awesome. And uh, without further ado, I am going to jump right in to my, um, my interview with BJ Caruso. Here it is. I am here with my good friend and colleague Barbara Joe Caruso. Barbara Joe is a founding partner of Corporate Immigration Law Firm, located in the heart of the financial district in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, BJ is a co-author of the Annotated Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, published by Carswell. The Annotated IRPA, and I can attest to this, is a leading immigration textbook in Canada and used by everybody. So the federal court judges, Canadian immigration officials, really at all levels, the CBSA officers on the border, the immigration officers, appeal board members, refugee board members, lawyers and law students alike. And um, I know when I was, uh, my first copy was given to me when I was uh, working with the hearings officers downtown Calgary as their pro bono student or slave as they referred to me as uh, while I was attending law school. And so... Yes, this is the the source of information for for immigration. Uh, BJ is also certified by the Law Society of Upper Canada as a specialist in immigration law and this is something I can attest to. She is one of the most respected business immigration lawyers in the country and I'm pretty sure you could pull just about anyone who was anyone within the immigration world and they would they would echo that sentiment Um, but even more than this BJ is a tireless advocate for her clients and for our profession generally you know, I think about the hours that she volunteers to, you know, to be a part of uh, everything that we're trying to do with the Canadian Bar Association, and and BJ, I think now you're serving as the treasurer on the executive committee, I believe.
1: Yep, that's the role this year, so it's a five-year commitment, but um, I'm enjoying it immensely, uh, you know, working with uh, other senior practitioners across Canada, and and then meeting with the government a couple times a year to, uh, to try to... Uh, you know, address concerns that are common to to everyone. So uh, very rewarding to be able to give back to the the bar in general.
0: You bet. And, you know, I think of even the mentoring that you do with young aspiring immigration lawyers across the country, me included. And uh, I can think of how many times I reached out to you when I was kind of lost and wasn't sure what to do with a difficult situation. And and you know you were always there to respond and and that's one thing that I've admired about you as much as any of these other you know professional accolades you've achieved. You're just a good friend and i and I really appreciated that.
1: Thanks, Mark. So <laughs> now I am blushing, even though you can't tell and it's a podcast. But um, I do truly believe that, um, you know, it's important to to share information. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's not not accurate. And um, um, I think it's dangerous as a practitioner to, to sort of practice in isolation. So you do have to build a network of colleagues and Um, uh, friends that you can uh, collaborate on. So this is a great opportunity for me today to do this with uh, yourself and whoever else uh, decides to
0: tune in. (laughs) Wonderful. Thanks so much. So I guess maybe one place we can start. uh, It's always good to get to know people a little bit more. How in the world did you get into immigration in the first place?
1: Good question. Um, well, I, I went to law school really to be a litigator, to go to court and advocate. I thought I'd do a lot of criminal law, and I picked a, I picked a law firm that had a diverse um, litigation practice where they did environmental, they did some white-collar crime. Um, and family law, employment law, civil litigation, and commercial banking litigation. And um, they also had this little immigration group. And that was one of the reasons that I had picked that uh, firm. But um, I didn't really set out to sort of do immigration. Um, um, however, I, I had had a similar experience to you in that I'd been a customs officer Um for four summers at uh, Toronto's Pearson International Airport so i had been exposed to the area but it wasn't you know something that i i thought that i would i would uh I would pursue, but uh, working in a firm where um, there was this practice area, it exposed it to me again, and uh, I developed a, a split practice of general civil litigation and uh, and the immigration, and then slowly it just evolved into being all immigration, and um, I really like it because it's typically all about people and and not necessarily about people fighting over money.
0: Yeah that's exactly right. I know when I was trying to make decisions in terms of which direction I was going to go um, I had a little bit of inter- introduction to some of the immigration lawyers who were sending packages down to the border when I was working there and I thought well, hey that's a good area to practice in and then once I started practicing I realized that the uh, Securities floor I was working on was just terribly boring and dry, pushing papers. And on the litigation side, there were no winners. Everybody was, you know, it was just so contentious. But immigration, at least in those days, BJ, officers were, you know were very collegial, you could call people, you could t- talk to them, and it was a great area to practice in. I don't yeah. know, maybe we're returning to those days, but we've definitely had some dark days of...
1: <laughs> we, we have, but I think part of it is things have evolved, right, in that you have resource crunch on the government side, so there's not as much uh, time for officers to give you uh, in person or by phone, and you've got a technology um, uh, being Introduced uh, to try to to facilitate what should facilitate applications and help the government save uh, resources in terms of um, um, person hours that have to spend on on applications. So that the technology I think is sort of interfacing with um, uh, and interfering with what we had in the past. Uh, Uh, felt that we could do in terms of servicing clients and getting results. But at the border, um, there's no denying that it's an in-person, face-to-face, Situation and, and I think it will remain that way, although obviously there are trusted traveler programs like Nexus and uh, um, other technology being introduced where there are less uh, opportunity for uh, face-to-face um, I- interviews uh, and uh, examinations by CBSA officers. But I don't think it'll ever be completely eliminated.
0: Yeah. Now that's when we, when we get on that topic of the, uh, the borders, uh, this is really one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about this. There's been some recent changes that uh, have occurred at our Canadian ports of entry that seem to be catching a few foreign nationals off guard. Can, maybe you can take a few minutes to explain, you know, what these recent changes are and how they're impacting on people.
1: Sure, and uh, I mean I think they've they've taken the the lawyers off guard too because uh, you know I, I actually learned about it via the, um, the 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 media and and wasn't wasn't aware of it but exactly what's going on is is the following uh, when you uh, enter Canada there is a primary inspection line um, it's referred to as the pill um, so um, the pill officer is responsible for sort of triaging uh... the traveler to determine whether or not a secondary examination is required whether that be a secondary examination for customs purposes in terms of uh, goods that the person may be carrying with them or immigration purposes in terms of what their intended activity in canada is going to be or their status in in canada is and their ability to um, to legally enter canada um, or s- sometimes it's it's an aggie, what we call an aggie referral, an agricultural issue, where someone may, um, you know, be importing an animal or uh, fruits or um, animal product, meat cheese dairy product that that needs to have a referral to an agricultural specialist so that pill officer the primary inspection line officer in the past has a very short period of time to assess the individual in front of them there if you're at a land border there's no documentation other than uh, your travel documentation which is typically a passport but um, can be another approved piece of identification Um, and uh, in, in coming in through air, um, there will be a declaration card uh, that you fill in that the airline uh, agents uh, would have given you on the, the plane. And that, that form is called an E311. Uh, it's a little blue sheet of paper that you fill in um, making your um, declaration of what you're bringing into the country and why you're coming. So the primary officer has very little to go on. Um, they have a lot of people that they have to process. Um, and the days when I was a primary in- inspection line officer, uh, the, you know, the primary role of that officer was to facilitate the entry of, of uh, travelers. Um, and the secondary w- role was enforcement. I would say today that's a flip, and we're now faced with more of an enforcement-minded primary inspection officer, and secondary uh, task would be to facilitate entry. So. Um, there they, they've now introduced, it looks like it goes back to, to November when this came into play, that the primary inspection line officer now has access to a database of information um, that they wouldn't previously have, have ha- had. Um, And this database um, is um, something called the Canadian Police Information Centre, CPIC. That's Canadian Police Information Centre, CPIC, C-P-I-C. And that will tell the officer when they run the individual's um, passport and name into the system that whether or not that individual has had a prior arrest or um, charge or conviction or even a warrant for their arrest against them. And in the past, the primary inspection line officer did not have access to uh, CPIC, and only the secondary officers would have had access. And it would have been incumbent on the primary officer to actually ask the question, have you ever been arrested, charged, or um, convicted? Um, and and Primary inspection officers just don't have time to ask that question to every traveler. So they will, in the past, they will pick and choose who they ask. Now the information is popping up in front of them. So that's that's what's different. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because we just got back, uh, at least with our local CBA section here, where one of the Border Service officers came to visit with us. And he indicated that officers have approximately 20 seconds to make a decision and so i guess in that 22nd period they can swipe the passport and get some immediate flags or hits if there's any issues within the uh, the database and they also have access to the ncic database in the us for american travelers i wonder uh, i wonder does that also take place uh, i haven't heard if they're able to access that as well at the, at the pill
1: i i believe that that, that they do, but I'm, I, I don't have confirmation of that. What was reported, was just the, the, the 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 Mm CPIC. Um, but, um, um, I suspect that, um, that, that that is coming as well because, um, Um, there is an agreement between the Americans and the Canadians to share that information, and certainly that information is available um, if there's a secondary uh, referral. So this is where it's going to become very interesting because um, uh, travelers that have come up to Canada for uh, years, uh, and never been asked that question and maybe didn't realize that it was material to their, um, misability to Canada, uh, wouldn't have volunteered it. And, and now it's going to be on a screen in front of an officer and, um, um, you know, it will have ramifications and, and maybe that's something that we, we can explain to anybody's listening what those implications are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if, if we were to take a real life situation, so if you had an individual and based on kind of what you've explained, if you have an individual that says, you know, let's say they have a DUI, but they really need to travel quickly and, um, you know, they're not quite sure what to do, you know, so if they were to get on the plane and come, uh, and maybe, you know, we've already answered this question, but, you know, what would they expect if, you know, wh- what could they expect if they decided just to try their luck?
1: Well, um, I think what people need to understand is that a criminal um, charge or arrest or even a conviction uh, outside of Canada um, to a foreign national doesn't necessarily make the individual inadmissible. Um, But the assessment as to whether or not it does or doesn't isn't necessarily straightforward. And uh, consequently, um, you know, the officers at the port of entry are going to have to dig a little bit deeper to understand what the outcome of the arrest or charge was um, when did it all take place when was the disposition um uh, finalized and um you know what are the circumstances for the individual seeking entry to 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 Canada
0: yeah i know you know as working on the border i probably dealt more with these types of inadmissibilities than anything else but when you think about a busy a busy land crossing or a busy airport um officers who who you know have to deal with these issues are you know they're just not trained like they used to be in other words it seems like this this you know amalgamation of of the old customs with immigration has has created a lot of officers that you know that that are maybe strong in one or two areas but uh, immigration is often not one of them
1: yeah, and that's interesting because I think I I heard uh, a CBSA officer speak once at a conference and suggested that there was something like ninety pieces of legislation that they're responsible for. So everything from um, you know uh, the customs uh, piece to the immigration to uh, controlled substances um, to uh, um, uh, gun legislation. Um, so there, there's a lot of, of legislation that is in play at the border and, um, you know, these officers really can't be expected to be experts in all of them. And you're quite right that years ago when you and I worked at the border, um, there were at least areas of expertise related to immigration, um, and, and those what we call legacy officers really uh, are few and far between, and, and many of the border officers, uh, you know, have some some general understanding of immigration, but may not understand all of the um, implications. And doing an assessment as to whether or not someone is inadmissible, it, it can be can be um, complex and not necessarily straightforward. Um, If you take your example though, Mark, you're right that the the fact situation of uh, someone who has been uh, charged with a DUI is a common one, and most officers then um, do have some familiarity with it, and they know that that offense um, equates to a Canadian criminal offense, and that's the first test in the in the assessment is whether or not the um, the conviction. Um, equates to a Canadian offense. So that one for sure does. So there's going to be some implication, but then there are a whole bunch of rules that uh, come into play as to whether or not the um, the the conviction um, uh, still makes the person in, inadmissible.
0: Hmm. So if someone finds themselves in that situation and, uh, and they suspect that mm, maybe I am inadmissible, I do have a DUI, everyone tells me that it does for Canada... Well, what options are available to them?
1: Well, my primary advice would be to uh, get some legal counsel mm-hmm. before yes. you come to the border. Because, quite frankly, it, it it's a stressful situation. The border officers are now all suited up um, with... Uh, tools, uh, <laughs> i.e., uh, guns. Yeah. And it's an intimidating, um, situation. When I worked out there, we wore polyester suits mm-hmm. and, uh, we maybe had a holster for our stamp, um, <laughs> that we yes. wore on our belts, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but now you know they've they've got the whole toolkit happening and 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 it's intimidating and if you're traveling with um, business people uh, colleagues or even you know your spouse your children it can be embarrassing because I, I think you can expect that that you will be um, uh, the onus shifts to you. And, and I don't want to say you'll be treated like a criminal, but you may feel like you're being treated like a criminal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, 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 as I said, it can be embarrassing. Um, it can be unnerving. So better to seek some advice in advance. And, um, You know, there may be some good news, and it's just a matter of you being prepared when you arrive. For example, in the case of the uh, DUI, if, um, you know, depending on what the disposition was in the jurisdiction, it may not actually equate to a conviction. There are some circumstances in some jurisdictions where there can be like a deferred judgment uh, that may not equate to um, to a conviction under Canadian criminal law. So that might be your complete answer, uh, but you would need to have with you evidence of how the matter was handled. Uh, another uh, example of where there could be some good news uh, and, a, and a quick resolution is if it's the only... Um, Uh, conviction you've had in the past. And more than 10 years has lapsed since the completion of the last part of the sentence. So if the sentence included a six-month driving uh, suspension, um, the 10 years would start from the day you got your uh, driving license back. And, and so if ten years has lapsed and that's the only thing that you've ever had, then you would be deemed to be rehabilitated under the uh, Immigration Refugee Protection Act. Um, so, um, you know, there's a couple of good s- scenarios. Um, another possible outcome is if five years has lapsed since the completion of the last part of that sentence, and um, then you would, might be eligible for what we call rehabilitation um, and there could be steps that you could take in advance of your arrival in Canada to secure a rehabilitation certificate which would then be a complete answer um, and then the, the, the final sort of outcome is that you might be eligible uh, for something called a temporary resident permit a TRP um and the trp is a discretionary document that um uh can be issued to overcome uh inadmissibility uh at the port of entry in some circumstances um so um not necessarily a complete answer but um again if you're prepared and you and you've got legal counsel in advance you 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 know, you'll have a better sense of, of how likely you are to be issued a TRP. So my first word of advice would be to get um, legal counsel in advance. And if you're caught off guard and um, you, you haven't uh, uh, got that counsel in advance, my second piece of advice would be when you arrive, whatever you do, do not lie. You must tell the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. And obviously, an individual that is, you know, forthcoming with that is going to be treated, generally speaking, with, you know, a a whole lot better than someone who's evasive.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, The minute that you, um, you know, are not forthcoming with information... Um, you start to lose credibility uh, very very quickly in the eyes of the decision maker in this case the Canadian border security officer and um, it's hard to recover from that um, and, and it, it um, it's, you know again generalizations but um, you know th- these officers deal with a lot of people on a regular basis and you um, Consequently, you know, they have to filter through very quickly. They have a limited period of time to spend with you. And, um, you know, they will sort of jump to some conclusions, conclusions uh, yeah. very quickly. So, um, you know, if if they ask you, well, you know, do you have any charges or convictions in the past? And you say no. Um, and then they say, well, what about in 1992? <laughs> Um, and then suddenly you're thinking back, oh yeah, but I thought I had a pardon to that or I thought, you know, that wasn't a a criminal offense. It was just a a traffic offense. Um, uh, you know, then you have to try to explain why it was that you didn't answer yes to the fact that, you know, you'd previously been, been charged or convicted.
0: You know, I've got a funny story about that actually. I remember once (laughs) the summer when I was working on the border, um, one officer would take the individual back into the office that's the way we did things at uh, you know at the carway port of entry and then the other officer would be doing the background checks they'd be running the uh, NCIC mm-hmm. searches and I always I always chuckled when I asked an individual have you ever been charged uh, you know convicted we would even go sometimes so far as to say have you ever been arrested or fingerprinted just to make sure that there was no possible way that they could you know assume that it meant something else And so I remember asking this one individual, so have you ever, you know, you're ever been charged, convicted with a felony or misdemeanor in in the U S and no, no, not at all. And in the background, I can hear the old dot matrix printer going, (laughs) you know, printing off Mm -hmm. this long record of, of, of offenses. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the reality is if you are an individual who has anything you're going to want to try to be forthcoming with that, and um, especially with what you brought up. You know that that we've all learned in the news about their ability to access CPIC. Sometimes that information isn't updated regularly, is it? So yeah,
1: I think that that's a that's a real problem, and um, especially um, um, you know, it it like clients or individuals. Th- you know, they, they've had this encounter with the law enforcement and, you know, it may have been a one-off and uh, they've sort of put it behind them and they've, you know, started to um, create a, a really positive track record in their lives. And and so, you know, there's this idea that it you know it doesn't exist out there anymore but um you, you just you can't you can't assume that and you can't assume that what is in the system is is accurate um because uh, a human being inputted that information into the system and it's only as good as um uh you know the, the the person using the technology and um you know if if the results of the um uh of the hearing don't get passed on then it it doesn't necessarily get updated
0: yeah and normally it's when you're you know there's an acquittal or a finding uh you know of not guilty you know sometimes it's those situations that they they forget to uh, close off the record versus if there's some lengthy sentence imposed. so for those who you know who who things worked out for they, they need to be just as concerned as as, as those that uh, that it didn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I mean, right now, we, we know with certainty that, that the primary inspection officers have the Canadian database. And we know with certainty that the secondary officers will have access to the U.S. Uh, information. So, um, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Foreign nationals that um, are living in Canada and may have had issues with the Canadian law enforcement—they're the ones that really need to be um, alert and alive to this. But I don't think our friends south of the border can, um, uh, you know, can discount this either. Uh, this ability to share this information has always existed. And um, it's just, it's slowly being, you know, moved more to the frontline officer um, mm-hmm. and more likely to come in into play.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, uh, BJ. This has been great. Um, I know that it was, uh, at least for those who are seeking to enter Canada for whatever purpose, um, understanding a little bit more some of these new changes and the ramifications are going to help people to be better prepared. Now, if there's individual, oh, sorry, did you have any, any other thoughts before we we yeah, wrap I, this up? I, mm-hmm. I
1: was just going to touch on, um, you know, the um, some of the trusted traveler programs, oh, please. Yeah. The, the nexus, because it all sort of ties in and the beyond the border initiative that, um, you know, um, former Prime Minister Harper and um, the U.S. President um uh, Obama signed and and this really is um, you know something that is moving forward um, in that there's there is going to be more shared information and um, they are going to try to expedite the uh, entry um, to and from the US and Canada of individuals that they view as being low risk and so people are very much being encouraged to sign up, and enroll into the Trusted Traveller programs such as Nexus. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of positive about that. I have an, a Nexus Pass. I actually renewed it to, uh, last night out at, at Pearson. Um, and, and I enjoy the privilege of, of that card. Um, but I, I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone and I just sort of wanted to highlight that there is, um, there is some risk in making an application for um, a Nexus card. If you have had a prior issue in the past, um, you will likely be denied eligibility because you will not be uh, viewed as, as a low risk. So, and by making the application, you probably will flag the issue um in the system and potentially be um uh, uh denied entry on on uh on your next uh, uh visit to the to the u s and um and, and you know it, it may be that if you have an issue um you you could overcome it. Uh, if you were prepared with the right uh, documentation. So um, tread lightly on the, the nexus applications, but, um, you know, if you're squeaky clean and you've never had any issue with the law before or a problem at the border in terms of being uh, charged with uh, bringing goods in that haven't been declared, then I think it's a great program. And, um, you know, more and more people uh, need to get in, enrolled in it so that, um, you know, travel becomes uh, smoother and, and, and faster.
0: Yeah. And that makes, that makes a lot of sense too, because uh, that's sound advice, advice. because I think people don't understand that when you're applying for Nexus, it's not just if you have any criminal history that's, that's on the negative side, it relates to anything. And, you know, if you're importing or failing to, to declare something when you're going through customs, that also can trigger an ineligibility uh, under Nexus.
1: Yeah, absol- absolutely. Um, but on the plus side, like I, I've, I find it actually valuable for travel within Canada because it gets you into a different security line when mm-hmm. you're, um, when you're, you're clearing security in the airports, even if you're flying domestically. Not at all all ports or airports, but, but uh, many, and um, and that can save you save you time as as well. So um, you know, it's things to think about and to to be aware of. Um, you know. It's, it's a huge border between the two countries. And, um, uh, you, you know, you, you can't uh, pretend that it doesn't exist. We don't know what's going to happen with uh, the elections in the U.S. and uh, walls being built. Um, but uh, I think uh, with certainty, there will be more scrutiny and more sharing of information. I think uh, we, can, we can expect that.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, uh, BJ. So if there are any individuals out there or companies uh, that have employees facing these types of issues related to criminal inadmissibility, and they want to get in touch with you for further information or, or assistance, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so probably the best way is uh, by email. And if you may want to reference that you heard us on the webcast and how you, you came to know, know about our services. And uh, and then typically what we'll do is we'll we'll um, find out a little bit of, we'll email you back with a little bit of uh, ask in terms of what the nature of your issue is, and then set up um, a, a consultation by, by phone or, or Skype. And so my email address is my last name caruso c-a-r-u-s-o at the letter c and then it's the word immigration and the word law.com so it reads caruso at c immigration
0: perfect that's wonderful well thanks so much bj once again we really appreciate you coming on the the podcast today and uh, we'll talk to you i'm sure again soon
1: okay great thanks mark
0: Well, that was wonderful. It was great to have um, that opportunity to invite BJ on as a guest on my podcast. And like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, uh, this is a pretty humble <laughs> a pretty humble little venture I've got going here. And for BJ to take some time to be on with me really, uh, really meant a lot. And I know that the insight that she has now given with respect to people who may have issues with being criminally inadmissible to Canada they need to be aware and uh, I know that if, if we follow the tips that she's provided and, and make sure that where needed we, we do seek counsel, it can save a, a whole lot of hurt for individuals who are facing these issues and really need to be granted entry to Canada. So that's awesome and what better way to kick off this this new series of podcasts than to start bringing on top caliber lawyers like uh, like BJ to share their insight with the listeners and uh, what a wonderful way to start things off well thank you so much for listening to the Canadian immigration podcast this 14th episode I am drumming up a whole bunch of awesome uh, guests to come on this show and uh, I know that if you stay tuned you will most definitely be rewarded Um, as I indicated at the beginning of the podcast um, I really appreciate all those who have supported me in this little venture and all of you listeners out there that have been downloading the podcast. And uh, one thing that really helps is if you go onto to iTunes and just provide some comments and, and rate the podcast because uh, through those ratings and, and through the, boy, I should say a lot of and and. You know, there's nothing better for a person to do than to go back and listen to themselves speak. Uh, on these podcasts and you realize how many times you say um or you know or uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so this is real this is raw and uh, I'm not one of those podcasters who goes through and edits out everything within the podcast but I can tell you this is au natural this is the way it is um, but anyways back on track I am so grateful for all of you so thankful that you listen to the podcast and if you could go onto itunes and just rate it it makes it um just more visible to other people who might be interested in the content and at the end of the day the more people i can share these insights with uh these tips and strategies for navigating the complex world of canadian immigration uh, law practice and policy the better so share the love and also, if you have any other ideas of individuals that you'd love to, to see on the podcast, let me know. Uh, maybe one day our dear minister, John McCallum, uh, will be gracious enough to jump on and answer some questions as well. But at this stage, I am uh, thankful for you tuning in to this 14th episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And this is uh, Mark Holthie, your host, signing off. Thank you
1: for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast,
0: your trusted source
1: for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice.
0: If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com.
2: This place I love, my home and native land We welcome all and with you we'll stand We'll set you straight with law, policy and practice Here on the Canadian Immigration